We'll be doing the uh, TV broadcast tonight on TSN of the Sens and the Hawks, and that would be, of course, uh, Dave Poulin. As always, a presentation of the Myers Automotive Group. How are you doing this morning, Dave? And doing very well, gentlemen. Chicago is one of my favorite cities, and looking forward to the game tonight. I will look for your four guests and see if they're in the building and see if they're chanting, we want the playoffs. I will verify that. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm, as, I'm as confused as anyone is, and so is every Hawks season ticket holder as to why it's 8 o'clock in Chicago tonight. Like, they're confused because sometimes they'll get pushed because it's a West Coast game or something like that, or they'll make it earlier to yes. satisfy the East Coast. And they're like, but this doesn't make sense. And I said, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I don't think we started this. So <laughs> we being Ottawa, but it'll be fun. You know, and uh, I've got uh, my, actually my daughter is here and, and they're season ticket holders. And they said the building has been surprisingly good. And, um, and, and he's a long time season ticket holder. So, you know, he said he likened it to the transition. <clears throat> they're almost, so respectful for what they went through that they're they're have bought in a little bit to this, you know, transition and going back because they've won their three cups and they know this is going to be painful. It's not like it was in, you know, 2006, 2007 when this building was empty. Yeah, it uh, yeah it, it it feels like there is uh, there is a plan. Although, boy, we're, when we talk about teardowns, this is this is one of the ultimate teardowns that we have seen. Uh, with with what they went, uh, let go and Patrick Kane and and even Max Domi, I mean he had forty eight points in sixty games uh, this year. There's just not a whole heck of a lot left uh, in Chicago. So kudos to uh, to your daughter and her and her husband. Are they actually though? Even though they have season tickets, are they going to all the games or are they sort of parceling them off to friends as well? You know, they share them with a couple of other people, but they go to their share of games for sure. Um, you know, absolutely they go. They're, they're big fans. You know, his jersey collection would rival any jersey collection <laughs> in the history of hockey. Are any of them uh, still applicable, though? <laughs> well, you know what's really funny is he had no idea she had any connection to the game. None when they started dating. And so they started dating, and it was about their third date, I believe. And he said, would you like to go to a hockey game? And she said, sure. And they shouldn't said a word about hockey any capacity. <laughs> and, so, and so he told me it was about 10 minutes through the first period. And Duncan Keith made a play and she said, great stick on Duncan Keith. And he, he said, he stared at her for about the next 10 minutes. And he said, I think I just met the girl I'm going to marry. She's the one. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Is that Chicago team, the worst team on paper in the NHL right now, Pooley? Uh, it'd be hard to argue with Arizona, I think, but Arizona maybe is a little bit better in terms of their, you know, they've got some higher-end kids, but I think there is a plan here. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting. You you chatted about, at some point, or maybe it was a tweet I read about Jonathan Taves, because I lived in Chicago when that was going on. In fact, when I was winding up at Notre Dame, uh, I watched Jonathan Taves play at Shattuck St. Mary's, and that was a loaded team that he was on there. Kyle Ocposa was on that team, and they were really good. And, you know, he, of course, was drafted and... and uh, but did play at the University of North Dakota, but the simultaneous drafts of, of Taves, the character, and Kane, the superstar, and Brady, and Stutzla is an interesting, I think that's an interesting comparison, I really do, in terms of how different their star players are from each other and how they both are so effective. And I think it's, you know, you look at the success those two had together, complementing each other, not always playing together, but complementing each other, 
in the styles that they brought. And I think it's a fair comparison in Chicago to say you've got two superstars, two young superstars, who are very different from each other. But the combination of the two brings so many different elements to each and every game. Yeah, and it's actually interesting because Stutzel's maturity is so much further ahead of Kane. Uh, what kind of an effect? Because I remember Taze, when he left school, went to the World Championships in Moscow, his air pulley. He's actually Canada's best player and the maturity that he brought. But it sure feels like Taze really, really had an effect on Patrick Kane going in the right direction on and off the ice. He did. His on-ice play was right from day one, was special. And we had watched Kane. Kane went as a 15-year-old over to the U16s, and he was just special right from the start. And, you know, my assistant coach was on that team when I was at Notre Dame, and he was telling me, oh, you should see this 15-year-old kid from Buffalo. He's just ridiculous. He, at the time, was actually playing in Michigan. and But, but he said he's, he's ridiculous. And we kept saying how small he was. I remember having a conversation with Denny Savard, and, and Savard was the coach at the time, and said, yeah, he's really small, talking to one of the most diminutive players in the <laughs> game. <laughs> and he said, yeah, but Pooley, he's that good. He is that good. And he was right from day one, you know, <clears throat> exerted on the ice, the skill level and the magic that, you know, that is well known now in the game. From a week ago when we were sitting here and looking ahead at that point, two games and two nights versus Detroit to the Jake Chikrin trade to his debut and a game on the road and a win over the Rangers and Patrick Kane. And then what went on on Saturday night um, uh, was Columbus, granted, but Chikrin and then the We Want the Playoffs, uh, you know, very organic chant from the crowd. Can you remember the last time the Ottawa Senators had a week like they've just had? Arguably 2017, you know, when we were around a lot and they had the great run through through the playoffs on the shoulders of Eric Carlson. But it, it, I, the hardest thing for me to believe, JR, is that was just a week ago. <laughs> it, it really is, yeah. you know, because it started with the Montreal win in Montreal. And it was like, okay, well, this is the first, you know. And I had said seven of ten points would have been a terrific week, um, you know, going into that stretch. And it was just they they matched every single thing that we could have hoped for. And they did it in the correct way and and not just, you know, with their vaunted power play and their special teams play and their penalty killing has gotten really good. And, you know, and a shout out because when we talk about topics during a game, you know, I'm always throwing things out to the producer and, you know, through the course of the game. And the last couple of auto games I've done, and certainly in Boston on that Monday afternoon, um, I threw Hammonick out as a topic probably three or four times, and we just simply didn't get to it on how well he was playing as an individual. And, and I think that the contributions they're getting across the board right now from their secondary scoring has really pumped it up over these last five games. And the bigs are still scoring. That's the beauty of this because they're you know, they're averaging over five goals a game, but they're getting a lot of push at different points from different players from the defense. You look at the addition of Jacob Chikrin now and you look at the ability of this defense to put points up and you need them joining the play even when they don't put points up just the fact that they join the play causes the other team to get off their rails uh, this is really this could be really fun to watch and when you see them win five in a row pool they outscore teams 27 10 only four on the power play it's also the it's obviously the entire team but the one player I point to and the elevation of his play coming back into the lineup and actually moving Batherson down at the time has really been Matthew Joseph. That, to me, and kind of looking at, you know, not not just that one player, but he's far closer to the player we saw last year when he came over in the Nick Paul trade. 
Yeah, it's it's like he's regained his thought process and his confidence. It really is because his if he's not skating, he he's not a factor, and he wasn't skating. And and sometimes the special teams will do it. He's been a big part of the PK as well, and seems to ignite when he's on the PK. But the, you know, each and every one of the guys who basically has done what they do, and I think that's the confusion. You don't ask them to be something they're not. You ask them to be the best of what they are, and. He knows that when he uses speed and gets up on the forecheck and because that his speed just naturally when he's skating in the other aspects of the game, it drives the defender back when he's carrying the puck because they're respectful of his speed. So, you know, he's he's been playing, you know, arguably his best, but that's what it takes through stretches like this summer. You've got to have guys playing their best and you've got to have, you know, more than just the bigs. And, and right now they do have that. You've had a couple of uh, games to watch uh, Jake Chikrin, uh, the game in New York, and then obviously the game on Saturday, and he scores a goal, and he's shown on the big screen pumping up the crowd and then gives a very emotional interview uh, afterward in the uh, in the dressing room. What, what have you made of Jake Chikrin's first two games in Ottawa? Surprisingly comfortable for someone that hadn't played in three and a half weeks or four weeks or whatever it was, and I think it'll only get better, but he appears to fit very well, and that's something that you don't know. You know, we've watched all of these transactions go on over the last three weeks plus and the big question is how they're all going to fit together and you know how the different combinations of players brought in this looks first of all it's it's there's not a six player move it's a one person move um you didn't lose a significant player from your team to gain a significant player and you know that's something that people forget about trades you make a, a big trade and you bring someone in well, the someone that left is usually someone's best buddy on the team, and, and that factors down through, and, and that's not the case here. It's not. He's just an addition, and he seems to fit in well with the exact vibe of the team right now, the energy level, the confidence. Um, you know, there's a little bit of strut in his game, and I say that in a very positive manner, but he does look comfortable, and he looks like he fits right in, and and, and I had, I've mentioned on the show before, I've watched him differently because I played with Jeff. And I played with Jeff as a young player in in Philadelphia, and you know I, I can remember instances of we're laughing. I don't even know whether I've mentioned this on the show before, but we're laughing because when a young player is playing in the NHL and his parents come down to visit him, you know they generally go to one of the veterans. Hey, can I swing by with my folks on Sunday afternoon? So I could remember the chicken sitting. You guys are close lip. in age, or <laughs> uh, no? Well, I'm teasing. Yo, no, but I'm, you know, he's looking at the veteran on his team with a couple of kids and a, and a house, right? And he's saying, I don't know what to do with my parents. Can I stop over for an hour on Sunday <laughs> afternoon? So <laughs> you think of that. And so when, when you have connections like that to players and they have a child that plays, you watch them growing up and you watch them a little bit differently. And I've done that with Jacob, you know, always kind of kept an eye on, on those types of kids that you feel like you have a connection to in some manner. Uh, to that, Pooley, and I, I won't use what the pairings are, but just as we go slotting, if you want to go Shabbat to Chikra and Sanderson down to Zub, all of a sudden Branstrom to Hamannick, uh, is that almost the, I, I mean, perfect one? Not perfect, but when you start to look at it that in, in the National Hockey League, like is a one through six, do you not say, wow, that's pretty impressive now what the auto centers have put together? It is because it's got some different elements. And, you know, you would look at, at Shabbat and Chikrin and Sanderson as sort of like defensemen, but I think Sanderson's a little more defensive of that grouping. And, you know, probably from a defensive standpoint, probably him first, Chikrin second, and, and Shabbat third in terms of their defensive play and how you play them in a defensive role. 
And Sanderson surprises me with how solid he is defensively for a young player. Usually there's some acquired things that a D gets to that he seems to have at a very young age. Um, and then you've got the element of Brandstrom and, and you know, and, and then the, the two right shots in Zub and Hamannick. So it's a nice mix. And I don't know that anyone can say exactly how it's going to figure out. And it may change during the course of a game. It may change depending on what your matchups are and what the other team presents. And you could say, okay, you know, we're playing against X tonight. They have this line and we'd like to play the two guys, Sanderson and Chikrin against them. And you'd love it if it got a fluidity to their playing that, that each of those three at a certain point in the game could jump to the other side, even if it was for a shift or two. And I think they're capable of it, but to be comfortable doing it. So I would push and exercise as many different options as I could. So I had them in my back pocket when I needed them. You mentioned uh, that you did the Sens game in Boston, which was two weeks ago today. We've had a bunch of Monday games, which is kind of weird, but two weeks ago today was family day. You did that game. Pierre Dorian was asked on Friday on his trade deadline availability, kind of when did you when did you start thinking about the playoffs for this team? And he identified that game, even though it was a loss uh, in Boston because the Bruins are uh, the league's best team this year. Sens were coming off, you know, it was a back-to-back uh, et cetera, et cetera. When you kind of wrapped up that broadcast that day, if you can think back two weeks ago, did you also think that there was something about this Sens team that maybe was a little bit different? Yes, I did. Uh, I thought it was a really good game. That was one of the games that I talked about Hammond again, um, just the way everyone had played in that game. And the ultimate difference maker had number 88 on his back in Boston and scored two just electric goals. And, you know, the, their components to play that Charlie McAvoy made on the second goal backwards through his legs at the blue line was just, you know, special. And then, and there were two special goals by Pasternak that were the separation between the team that day. And it was a really good game. It was a fun game. It was a one o'clock game, not an eight o'clock game, I might add, but it's a (laughs) one o'clock game. I don't know how I picked up seven hours on that, but it was just a really fun atmosphere and, and Ottawa was right toe to toe with the best team in the league. And, you know, it wasn't until, Till Pasternak, you know, had his magical two goals that that there was a final outcome. So, yeah, I, I would agree with him that they played very well in that game and, and looked like they belonged in every capacity. Interesting. You look at that game and the, and the Carolina game, the, the power play didn't get a goal, and that's when I looked at it fully and said, okay, well, if you can't get scoring five on five, I can't take you seriously. But, man, oh, man, has that changed, and is that um, another reason why you look at this and say, hey, this is realistic. As you pointed out to the start of the conversation, it's not just about the special teams every night. No, it's not. And this group has, you know, out of the almost half of their goals over the last five games have been outside of the top six forwards. Just one goal under under half. And, and that's, I'm just putting a bunch of stuff together for the game tonight. Mm-hmm. And that absolutely stood out to me that, oh, you, you know, it's funny because, I've got all this right in front of me right now in terms of numbers. Yeah. So the numbers that are jumping out of 14 of the 27 goals over the last five games are scored outside of the top six players. Only and four on the power it, play as well. Exactly. And that's so impressive um, because it means that both things are happening. You know, your, your bigs are still doing it and five on five hockey, which has been a factor uh, is not and your, even your goals for, um, are up now relative to your power play because, you know, I chart this before every game and the goals for their 15th in the league right now, which has gotten better, but their power play is six, which has dropped a little bit. And so there was a wider gap between those two figures 
because so many of their goals were on the power play. Um, but their penalty kill is up to six in the league as well this morning, which is pretty impressive. You know, that's a pretty good number. Five-game road trip kicks off tonight in Chicago. If you look at the five games, Dave, uh, obviously Chicago is struggling this year. Um, then they go out to Seattle. Then it's back-to-back with Vancouver and Calgary on the weekend and then at Edmonton to finish up. Uh, we've been kind of banding about what's the bare minimum number of points Ottawa's got to get out of this road trip for uh, Dave Poole, and what's that number? Well, they're a little bit heavy on my 7 of 10 from the last five, so I'll go with 6 to 10. I'll give them a little bit of, of license on this one. I think, you know, you, you absolutely start the road trip with a win, and then you go from there. And then if you split from there going through, um, Vancouver's not going to be an easy out right now, guys, as, as teams are finding out they're, they're playing harder, they're playing better than they have um, under Rick Tockett. And Calgary, you don't know what their desperation level is going to be at that point. You have no idea. They may be resigned to the fact they're not going to be a playoff team at that point. You know, so um, and then Seattle and Edmonton on their end of that. It's going to be a tough road trip, but I think you just take it one at a time like they do. And it's, you know, it's it's a nice little swing for the guys. And they have a new teammate to to get to know a little bit on the road and, and continue to get to know each other as a as a team that's making a push because as well as they've got to know each other, they haven't got to know each other as a team that's making a push and they're, they're making a little push right now. And, you know, you start watching other games and watching other scores and you know, one thing, everybody else is watching your score right now because you're the Ottawa senators and it doesn't matter where I go. I'm getting asked about it. What's up with the senators? Cause people know I cover them a lot and I'm getting calls about it, you know, whenever I talk to people and, and you know, they're showing, Hey, well, what's going on with sends and, and what do you think? And are they for real? And all those questions are coming up. So as much as you want to watch the scoreboard to see what's happening and how it's going to impact you, you better believe everybody else is watching the scoreboard to see what you're doing. Okay, a couple other things for you before we let you go. Um, what do you make of what's going on in Tampa right now where the Lightning have lost five in a row Saturday afternoon uh, in you know a, a winnable game against Buffalo in the third period? John Cooper decides uh, he's going to uh, need to make a statement here, and he sits down Point, Kucherov, and Stamkos for the entire third period. Um, uh, and I'm guessing in the hopes of getting a response on Sunday, and instead they go into Carolina and they get waxed 6 to nothing, and don't even get a shot on goal in the second period. So what's your overall uh, take on what's going on in Tampa right now and, and, uh, and with John Cooper in particular? It's now rather than a month and a half from now. And that's why I think he's calling it to the front right now. And this is a little dip that we haven't seen from this team. He knows his team very well. He knows his team as well as any coach does in the NHL. He's the longest tenured coach in the NHL with that team, but he also knows them. It's not just because of what he's been through. He's been to the cup finals and lost. He's been to the cup finals and won. He's done each of those a couple of times. And, you know, and he's also not made the playoffs with this team right in the middle of all that. People forget that, you know, that, that they went that year without making the playoffs. And so he's seen it, he knows it, and he's, he's taking it, you know, whereas a lot of coaches would just say, well, they've earned the right to do that. He's trying to bring it to the forefront right now, six weeks ahead of the playoffs or seven weeks ahead of the playoffs rather than waiting you know, until it's too late. So I think it's a smart move. I think it's a good move. It didn't have instant success, you know, afterwards. And that's not the way these things work. But I do think they're going to be okay. And they are going through a dip right now. I still think they're going to be okay. And you didn't feel this is anything like the Steve Casper moment back in the day in Boston pool? No, okay. not, not even close. Not even yeah. close. No, not even close. All right. Uh, to wrap up, uh, you had a long day on Friday. 
Uh, I think when we talked to you on Friday morning, uh, you said, well, there'll be trades, but and there were. I mean, there were 21 for 34 players, but not a heck of a lot of names. Uh, the goalie you told us about, what uh, you, you're kind of hinting that maybe there was going to be a, a big goalie <laughs> trade, potentially. Um, so just it a thought on John Friday. Quick went to Vegas okay. for first two games. <laughs> oh, you, Are you, you kidding you, me, JR? How did you get the inside scoop on Hutchinson way out in front? <laughs> <laughs> well, now you have to leave these things alone because, uh, you know, and I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not, I don't just casually throw things around, but there were some things going on that didn't happen right. that would have been very significant. And, uh, and it just, it never got there, but I, I was under the, and it came very close. Yes. So we'll, we'll leave, we'll leave it at that. And we'll leave the mystery with that. All right. Well, uh, often these things get talked about and then uh, come to fruition in the summer. So we'll quiz you on that when the uh, NHL draft comes around, uh, maybe to revisit that one. Okay. You got the Sands and the Hawks tonight on uh, TSN television. Appreciate the time as always. Enjoy the visit with your daughter and we'll look forward to uh, chatting with you again on Wednesday. Have a great day, guys.